Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater with the normal bitcheries and qualms. By watching the video recordings from of questionable origins of various productions. This week, we are talking about Marilyn, an American fable, uh, specifically the Broadway production's performance from 1983. Wish I knew more information than that, but we only know it's 1983 and Broadway, which is like the only production ever. (laughs) Uh, This recording is rather easily accessible. It is uh, up on that one major streaming site that you know. Uh, and if you because, go to mm. that tube, um, that random tube, you are going to want to change your phone settings to have the audio play in mono because it's easier to hear. Mm. That's a good point. It is It is only coming out through one channel. little inconvenient, but not terrible. We mentioned this because uh, while we review life. the show itself, we, uh, we also talk about the specific performance that we've seen. Oh no, the subway just ran by and my dress just flew up. That's the wrong section for it. You do the internet as your friend. Oh, Jesus. It's okay, we'll just do it again. <laughs> Are we keeping that in? Maybe we keep that in. <laughs> Specific performance we've seen. The internet is your friend, darling. So without cur- My God, you've got me fucking up. So without further ado, the curtain is now rising. This is just appropriate for this show. Okay. Yeah, you know what? This content this dictates form, eh? Oh, no. <laughs> Please <I'm> enjoy. <laughs> Please enjoy our discussion of the Broadway production of Marilyn and American Fable. Can you do a Marilyn impression? You know, I haven't really tried. <sighs> Dan, Dan, are you ready to start? Happy birthday to you. Uh, I don't know. Dan? It, it could use some work. Do you have a Marilyn impression? Huh. Let me see. Uh, well. Happy birthday. No, I don't. Nope, absolutely don't. No. Yeah, yours was more Miss Piggy than Marilyn. Why, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, now that's just Kermit pre puberty. Well, no, 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 no. Kermit's sort of more in this, like, Ray Romano area. Whereas Miss Piggy's way, you know, much more falsetto and sort of goes a little bit more nasal. It, I could give you fuzzy, too, if you'd like. No, it's the same. All three of those. You need to keep working there, kid. All three of those were the same. You were just placing the voice differently. It's the exact same mouth shape. And that is not true of the characters. Well, I mean, it's two different performers. Right. So, I am I am but one man. I am but one man, and what <laughs> I am is... No, 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 we're not talking about a show that good today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Unauthorized Critics Circle. Um, on today's episode, if you couldn't tell from the immediate failed attempts at impressions... Um, they don't all work. <laughs> they, you just know, like the first bit we tried that we just... scrapped because it was just confusing. Yeah. They don't all yeah. work, but we try. We we try, and that's what you're getting out of this 
podcast. Two guys trying real hard. This week we are talking about the 1983 Broadway smash hit, Marilyn, an American Fable. We watched it. We watched it. Uh, Dan, how many performances did this smash hit have on Broadway? Uh, 17 official. 17 since opening. 17. (laughs) In the annals of history, this show is. 17. Cause I'm sweeter than 16. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. That was a lame song. Do you want to hear an even lamer parody? Um, then that was from Repo the Genetic Opera. I, yeah, that, that, my point stands. <laughs> Do you want to hear an even lamer one? What? And cut this if it's actually painful. Merrily had 16, this had 17, somehow the show still wins. Mer- it doesn't work. I know it doesn't scan, but what no, can you do? it doesn't work because we're talking about Marilyn, and when you go sing Merrily, it just sounds like you fucked up <laughs> saying Marilyn. Actually, talking- that would be- that's actually way funny. That's way funnier. Merrily had 16, Marilyn had 17, somehow- <laughs> You're talking about Merrily We Roll Along. I am. What, is Merrily there another we show called Merrily that had 16 performances? Um, Merrily We Plunder? <laughs> oh. Hey, Dan, Marilyn and American Fable, huh? It what did was you, uh... so beyond anything I've ever dreamed of. So beyond. Congrats, you're I've the first person to describe Marilyn and American Fable like that. Oh, Marilyn and American Fable, you are so <laughs> me- You didn't do a key change. What am I supposed to apply? That you are so beyond. That wasn't an invitation. That wasn't an invitation. No. You're welcome. You're welcome. Whatever. Dan, what did you know about this show? Uh, I knew that it was legendary. I also knew that it was legendary. You know, I, I actually... Give me a second, audience. Give me a second. You showed up late to the recording session. I don't have a second for you. I'm, I'm way off mic, so I have no clue how terrible this is sounding, but I need to pull something very quickly. I'm back. Did you badmouth me while I was gone? Yeah, I said that we don't have a minute because you showed up late to the recording session. I didn't show up late. Time went by too quickly. You showed up late. So, I actually, I have um, a playbill from this show that I received a little while ago. Oh, isn't that lovely? Um, That I... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, how many people have a playbill of a show that had uh, 50 performances total in New York? Um, And I I, I sort of (laughs) flipped through it and got a great a great sort of encapsulation of what Broadway was like in 1983. Um, While also noting just... The insane amount of people that are on this credit page. You know, what, what do they call it? That, the, the page where they have sort of the producers and the cast and all the design, the very front. The title of, page. Is there a word for that? 
Sure, the title page. Um, just looking at the sheer amount of names here is sort of intimidating. I learned that this show has uh, five different composers. Nope, that's listed. There were 12. And what? the, uh, yes, there were 12 composers and Jesus. lyricists that worked on the show. Only five took credit. <laughs> oh, no. I also like in this program, it lists like the producers, the librettist, and the composers, and then says with, and then lists the casts. As if they're second fiddle to the creative team here. Yeah, I guess that is a little unusual. Yeah. Like, it says, libretto by, music and lyrics by, with Scott Bakula, Peggy Blue, Christy Coombs. And then at the very end, in a box, it says, and Allison Reed as Marilyn. She got the Jerome Robbins box? <laughs> yeah, she did. Good for her. That's a good fucking agent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you didn't, get it, you didn't get it above the title, but hey, at least you got a whole box well, around it. She was an unknown, unknown entity. It would be very unlikely for her True. to get her name above the title. But she I got mean, right. a box around her name. There you fucking go. Yeah, she did. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It is also how I learned that uh, this show was directed and choreographed by Kenny Ortega. Um, whom I did not know had actually worked on the Broadway stage. I, Kenny Ortega started directing and choreographing it. And then um, they brought in Tommy Walsh and Bayork Lee to fix the shit when they were in previews. And I Tommy Walsh names. and Bayork Lee were like, um, yeah, uh, you don't have to give us credit. That's fine. You can leave us out of the playbill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Wow. No one, no one wanted to be here, huh? Uh, so Bayork Lee along with Bob Avian, uh, was... Oh, Bob Avian, I know. Well, Bob Avian was Michael Bennett's number one assistant. His number two assistant was yes. Byorkley. And Byorkley, you can see ah. her dancing turkey lurkey time with Donna McKechnie in Promises, Promises. And she was also ah. in How Now, Dow Jones. Byorkley also, her first Broadway credit, she was in the original Broadway cast of The King and I as Princess Ying Yaolak. Mm -hmm. The very first ever Princess Ying Yaola. Hmm. And Tommy Walsh was also a Michael Bennett associate, but he ended up on the Tommy Toon side of the Michael Bennett-Tommy Toon divide, and he was Tommy Toon's assistant more than Michael Bennett's assistant. A lot, a lot here, wow. Now, who's Kenny Ortega? I'm... Vaguely familiar with oh, the name. Oh, who's Kenny Ortega to me? Uh, Kenny Ortega, um, I think is best known for his work with Disney. Um, yeah. He, Sorry, he is that was the, involuntary. Uh, no, I understand. I get it. I get it. Um, he uh, was the director of uh, the Christian Bale Newsies. Christian Bale? Um, yeah, Christian no, bail. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, no. He was the director of that. the legendary Hocus Pocus. Oh. Um, he directed Descendants good. for Disney. 
Uh, he is, of course, the driving force of the High School Musical trilogy. Ugh. Uh, which is how I know. Sorry, that was... No, that one I'm gonna... Sorry. That one I'm taking a lot less kindly, Dan. That one I'm not gonna stand What? For. I couldn't stand it. Well, I am so sorry about your lack of taste, Dan. Truly, I am. Well, are they all in this together? Because I don't believe it. Well, they know where they are, okay? They're all stars, and they see that. They are all stars in Pacoima. They're not stars in New York. Or sure, say that to they... Zac Efron's face, I dare you. Or did they go off to say New that York to, in the movie? Say that! Well, um, Troy Bolton gets into Juilliard, as does the oh! pianist whose name's escaping me. Oh! Oh. <laughs> Troy Bolton oh! gets into Juilliard, no! turning down a basketball scholarship. No! God! Save me! Kelsey, that's her name. Kelsey also gets into Juilliard, who is goddamn deserving of it. Sharpay goes to New York. Um, what else happened? I think that's I think that's all who go to New York. Well, um, we all know uh, Corbin Blue goes to New York. Corbin Blue played Chad and performed on the Tonys with Kiss Me Kate. Chad? Yeah, he played Chad in uh, High School Musical. Oh. I was like, YouTube, there's no he was Chad, not Chad in Kiss Me Kiss Kate. Me Kate. <laughs> yeah. Cole Porter didn't suck all those dicks to have you having the audience <laughs> think that someone in Kiss Me Kate was named Chad. <laughs> he, he's found a lot of success. He's in the pro shot of Holiday Inn. He performed Too Darn Hot on the Tony Awards. He's big at the Muni. He's found some significant theatrical success. He was in In the Heights. Yes, he was. He replaced... No, he didn't replace Lynn. He replaced the person who replaced Lynn. I don't know. He was one of the replacements. But anyway. Also, in High School Musical, you know, linking back up to this episode. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. There was Allison Reed, who... Playing Mrs. Darbus. Sure. She was the teacher. And directed by Kenny Ortega and yeah. Kenny Ortega directed Marilyn and the box around her name Allison Reed. There you go. Yeah, that's that was the connection I was about to make. Thank you for making it for me. Sure. I care about Allison Reed because the business has fucked her over too many times. I mean, you look at the Broadway credits that this woman has had. She's a terrific performer, but um Oh yeah, you my know, god. She was in Oh Brother. Which Oh Brother? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> she was in Dance a Little Closer, which was affectionately known as Close a Little I Faster. I that playbill fun enough. Oh, well, yikes. Closed on opening night. She was in Marilyn. I mean, the one Well, at big... least hey, at least she broke into motion pictures, huh? Well, she was in the Chorus Line movie, and we all know how that turned oh, out. Oh, yikes. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, the one good thing, she was Sally Bowles in the Cabaret Revival with Joel Grey in the 80s. Oh, was that her? That was her. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison Reed, by the way, was Cassie and Val uh, nationally. It was, it was in the national tour. And she also, it looks like, replaced on Broadway. Perhaps. So says the IBDB. It seems it seems not by 1983 here. Cool. Maybe she did the role just before doing the movie. Hmm. 
Probably not. But maybe she... They felt bad for her after Marilyn and American Fable and <laughs> called her up. You really need a job. We really have a job. You want to well, get this job. What happened is they saw her They saw her do Me in the Mirror at the end of the show, and they went, oh, okay, yeah, she still got it. No, there was no music in the mirror in this show. You texted me that, and it just shows that you don't know a chorus line. Come on. You didn't get anything from that? No. I've seen the scene. What scene are you talking about here? The music in the mirror from a chorus line. But in Marilyn, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the thing where she does a whole bunch of things at Arthur Miller's house and then is sort of just dancing alone by herself for like a minute. No, there was nothing that approached music in the mirror. Anyway, 20 minutes. Let's start talking about this show. Sure. And and I'm saying 20 minutes now so our audience can look at the time code and see just how much of the conversation we've cut. As every episode happens. Where... Truly, where do you want to start? Where do you start? Do you allow yourself a little time to cry? Maybe. No, we don't have that kind of time today. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, you know, some names are just synonymous. Kander and Ebb, Bach and Harnick, the Gershwin brothers... And Gene Napoli, Doug Frank, Gray, Gary Portnoy, Beth Lawrence, and Norman Thelmere. <laughs> Saw it coming from a fucking mile away, and it was still fucking Valheimer. Valheimer, sorry. Thelmere. Valheimer. Wow, you couldn't even get it right. That's how synonymous the names are. <laughs> oh. Also, Which one we do have you want to, to start note, with? We, we have to note that the names are listed five times each because yes you see music by gene napoli you go down to lyrics you see lyrics by gene napoli music by doug frank lyrics by doug frank like they print the same list twice on music and lyrics but they print it why couldn't you have just put music and lyrics by and just list the names once um you know they really just wanted to make sure they knew who was on this Let's start with the score. Yes, please. What'd um, you think? I barely did. How about you? God, I I think this is a point about the overall show. Um, uh-huh. if we never decided on a tone here, did we? Tone? Of, what of tone? A show. What's what's a tone? Are we supposed to strike a tone? Like, do you want an A? Is that a tone? Let's hit an A. A. <laughs> that was a C. Uh, there you go. Whatever. I wasn't trying to be accurate. Whatever. Um, you know, there's a legendary uh, review by Frank Rich for the New York Times um, that starts with him uh, explaining that the new musical has 16 producers and 10 songwriters. And then goes on to say, if you mistakenly look up from the playbill to watch the show itself, you may wonder whether those 26 persons were ever in the same rehearsal room or even the same city at the same time. It seems like a very catty line, but watching the show, you can understand it. (laughs) Yeah, you really do. 
Vanquish uh, didn't always get it right, but here he's on the money. I mean, because at the beginning you start with a fine, I mean, it's not a great song, but there's a fine, like, soft pop. I know I'll be a star, and that's going to be the theme throughout this show. And that's okay. And then we go back in time, not back in time, we start with young Marilyn, and then Marilyn is off finding her first husband, who she never divorced, according to the show. Um, (laughs) More on that later. (laughs) Yeah, And it's the 1940s, but somehow it sounds like a parody of the 1950s that Grease did. So Here's here's what it is to me. I I was able to get one tone from this show, and that tone was 1983. Every single song really felt like, okay, this is a song written in 1983. No, not every song, because that first song was um it did read as it's trying to evoke the 1950s the issue is it's supposed to be the 1940s so they're evoking the wrong era and then you have the cold hard cash number which is really trying to evoke diamonds are a girl's best friend and that actually i mean it's not as good as diamonds are a girl's best friend but it is accurate in evoking the correct era so we have several different eras going on, very few related to Marilyn's life. Uh, <laughs> great sign off the bat. Great sign off the bat. What do you have to say about the score? Such um, that it is. You know what? It's not that they are bad songs. I don't think that they're bad songs. Oh, there are I a think, couple that are bad. I think the worst of the songs are, like, cringingly cheesy. That's how I describe the worst of the songs here. Mm-hmm. Um, and at their best, they're pretty good. Like, at their best, they're, okay, I would say this to my Spotify. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think... This might be a note of the entire show, but I think the all like the score especially just forever lives in this limbo of fineness where it just sort of comes and goes and is fine. No, I mean I there are bad moments and there are genuinely confusing moments. It wasn't all fine. I will say it's not as bad as some people have made it out to be because there are a lot of entertaining moments, but no, it's not fine. What 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 what, what stood out to you? What was what was really terrible to you? Uh, just storytelling wise, who the fuck Okay knows where we are but that's a book note um score i I thought that gossip number was just terrible okay look so did i and i also just i that is my favorite moment of the show that is 100 percent unironically my favorite moment of the show (laughs) because mary testa she didn't hurt it she did not hurt it no I, i think that's impossible here but well it's impossible anywhere the gossip number I found terrible. There were a couple of destiny numbers, the trio that they named Destiny, that felt really Is that what they were named? Really out of place. Yes, they were named Destiny. They were Destiny's children. Oh my god. <laughs> Christ, man. 
Yeah, love <laughs> l- love the white man they put in Destiny's Child. Hey, um, Dan. Yeah? Liza Minnelli. God, did that not work? You're really in a funk. Liza didn't see Marilyn in American Fable. I was just trying to evoke an image. Why would Liza be an American American in a Marilyn Fable? <laughs> American in a Marilyn Fable. <laughs> if this show could get even more unlicensed, American, that's American how you do it. A Marilyn Fable. Oh my god. Oh Jesus. There we go, we got him back, folks. Oh. Here's a question for you, Dan. Mm-mm. Where do you think this show lives lyrically? Where do you think this stands among the annals of Broadway history? It stands among the annals of Broadway history. <laughs> uh, the lyrics aren't... I hate to say this, but... Modern musical theater exists, and they have sunk far below where Marilyn and American Fable is. <laughs> We're not rhyming hero with Robert De Niro, okay? <laughs> What's that from again? I, I don't know. Um, Did you just pull that reference out of a hat? Sure. Where there never wow. was a hat. Wow. You're going to evoke Sondheim? If the lyrics to Be More Chill were better, maybe Sondheim would have stayed for the second act. Fair. Okay, fair enough. You found a bridge. Now find your way home. I don't know if Sondheim saw Marilyn in American Fable, but he wouldn't have been awake at night sweating, thinking, how am I going to top this? <laughs> I was going to say, I think if he saw this, he would have gone, okay, yep, that's it, mystery novels. <laughs> oh, God. No hope, no hope. American, oh my God, you got me saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn and American Fable was more of a theatrical success than Sondheim and Prince's Merrily We Roll Along. <laughs> Which is insane. Because, I yep, mean, it's not operating. It's not operating in the same universe, even. Nowhere I mean, near. Nowhere near. <laughs> Look, there are a couple good songs, Cold Hard Cash being one of them. Um, <laughs> I think the main theme is decent enough. And then you are so beyond. That was, it was thrilling to hear him take that key change. Uh, yeah, got an got an ovation from the audience. It's not a great song, but it allows the vocalist to show off and take center stage. Now the song stops the show dead in its tracks, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the plot. But yeah, yeah, it's one and of it's the more also, successful also, moments it, of American and Marilyn an Fable. It's an ode to stalking. The song serves as an ode to stalking. A dude breaks into Marilyn's trailer, clutches her objects, and sings You Are So Beyond to Dead Air. I'm surprised that he's not dressed in his mother's clothing. Well, I, I thought it was just a gay boy uh, singing an ode to his diva. But then the scene ends and he's kissing a girl, and I went, huh? <laughs> That's that, not... That, that, no. that just... That is the perfect illustration of this show's utter ineptitude. Yeah, have him put on a wig and walk off stage. Like, (laughs) have him be the one they mistake for Marilyn. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think I think the number would have been so much more successful if during the number he started getting he got into, into drag. Yeah, he got into Marilyn's clothes and dressed up in drag. That would have been interesting. Ends the song completely uh, like ends ends the yeah. song on that octave jump completely dressed as Marilyn. Wow. Are so They've been asking the question for ages, how do we turn Psycho into a musical? That's how. No. No one's been asking that. Don't put that into the ether. Because we're going to end <laughs> up with a score by fucking Eddie Perfect, and you know it. Oh my god. And they'll get, uh, they'll get Bruce Willis to star in it. Yeah, because that went so well when he didn't sing and dance and was stuck in a bed <laughs> the entire show. And he still... Well, he was in a wheelchair for a couple lines. minutes. Yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about the lyrics, which is I haven't said anything yet, and that's about all I have to say about the lyrics. That's actually fair on this episode. Yeah, I... Uh, They're very basic. I'll say this. It it was never offensive enough to anger me. Yes, It was just boring enough to make me tune out. That is a perfect summation. Thank you. I am perfect at summating. All right. Then I guess you know where that takes us. Oh, where does that take us? Uh, we're now talking about the libretto of this show. We the get book? to talk about structure. The book? Oh. I mean, here's the question. Sure. Did the show evoke Marilyn at all beyond the main performance? Like I was going to say Allison evoked Marilyn. Beyond, she does a good job evoking Marilyn, but the audience walks in, and it's not like Marilyn is an under-discussed figure, and there are certain life beats that you are expecting to see when you walk into a piece of art that shows Marilyn Monroe, and this show gives us none of those, and this show um, creates a fake ending that didn't exist in real life. I want to talk about that ending in a half minute. But, yeah, that's completely right. What is up with bio-musicals about famous women that just don't hit the mark? Well, there are bio-musicals of famous women that do hit the mark. Vita, funny girl. Uh, Vita was one of the examples I was talking about. Funny girl, I'll give you. But what do you mean, Vita not hitting the mark? I think it's compelling material and not really an accurate depiction of Ava Well, Funny Adam's Girl, life. We funny girl is an accurate depiction of okay, well, there you Fanny go. Bryce's life. I mean And I'm not saying I'm not saying accurate is in like, you know, oh they 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 put this in for dramatic effect and so it's a complete lie. It's like but n- no, but like you're not going to be able There are parts of Evita that stray into fiction. You're not going to be able to 100% accurately represent anyone's life. The question is, though, what expectations does the audience have when they walk in, and did you meet those expectations? All right, I suppose. And in that case, um, in that case, uh, I see all the parallels in the world between Marilyn and Diana. Really? Oh, abso-fucking-lutely, yeah. You have these two iconic, powerful women, and you come in knowing their story and knowing what they're meant to evoke, and you walk out going, 
I got none of that. Okay, that I think I can give you. Well, that's it. Like, that's, that's completely it. That's entirely what it is to me. I think Marilyn was much more, much more successful than Diana. Um, okay, well then where did it succeed? Was it just the fact that it was dramatically interesting? Sure. You have a character who walks out, I'm going to be a star, and she's obsessed with being a star, and that's the show. The character doesn't walk out and expect an expectation like Diana. The character is actually motivated in some way. And so that is more sound writing. There are actually some memorable songs here. Are they good? Debatable. But there are some memorable songs here. I can't sing you two bars from Diana. Literally can't sing you two bars from Diana. Um, yeah, the on choreography, the surface, I'll agree with you. The choreography here is actually very good. I hated the choreography yeah. of Diana. Like, as bad as American, as bad. Come on, we gotta get it. As Marilyn and American Fable is, it manages to be entertaining. And you and I sat here for Diana, and we both said. And you made that soup. I made that soup, and you said I could not have cared less, and I was not entertained. Yeah, that that the the difference is in quality of material, not in quality of storytelling. I think what this show has going for it is that the music isn't badly written, and the lyrics are inoffensive enough for you to be able to pass by it, and the book has enough good lines and I don't think overall structurally with writing less successful that this that would have been nearly as enjoyable I think it, it, it there's a lot of facade going on here and a lot of uh, cover work that's being done if that makes sense mm-hmm. it feels like a it feels like a house made of straw sure. with some with some sure. gorgeous paint on top of it and it's like, great, it looks it looks lovely. This is the flimsiest structure I've ever seen in my life. I don't even know that it's a flimsy structure. It's just wrong for telling a story about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, from from, from that angle specifically. Uh because I mean they do create a main character, the main character has a goal, uh we follow that goal throughout the entire show. That structurally is sound. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what yeah. isn't sound is that apparently she never divorced the first husband. Like, that didn't even come to a close. He just disappeared into thin air. And um, we're never really made aware that she becomes successful. Like, she's in the chorus in a movie musical, and they apparently... It seems like they're still trying to screen test her, and then all of a sudden she sings Cold Hard Cash, and it's like, oh, she's actually leading a movie, and she's a major star now? When did that happen? Like, what... Career-wise, we never see Marilyn react to earning fame. And that is a huge misstep. That is a big missed opportunity. Um, yeah. And there are details that you are expected to just fill in from knowing Marilyn's life. 
but also they completely changed the ending so any kind of prior knowledge that you walked in with you're not supposed to trust right yeah it's you you walk in not knowing whether or not you are comfortable to know what you know right or whether or not you have to put this aside and go okay i'm about to be told something new and i mean the tone issue here again comes back into play because marilyn apparently never had a drug problem like she just wanted to be a good actress and people got in her way from that but she's gonna be a star once she drank alcohol i think at the beginning of act two showed her that what the song was the nights are lonely and i think that showed her taking a couple pills but did it i just saw her writhing around in her trailer a bunch I thought she took a couple pills. I, the video wasn't mm. very clear. But, like, that isn't an overall option. Marilyn really is a tragic figure. And the person we oh, see yeah, here absolutely. is pretty much on top of the world. She has some setbacks, but hokey do, she's going to go forth and conquer. And the reality yeah. of the woman is she tried to conquer, but she didn't really have the ability. Not talent-wise. Yeah. She didn't have the ability mentally. She didn't have the mental capacity to overcome that. Well, right, because she was she had so much thrust upon her at once and was mm-hmm. burdened with every single fucking weight in the world, positive and negative. And then to never show any of those and to never even show yeah. the rise just to imply, power. oh, she was difficult on set. Which they didn't even show her being that difficult on set. Yeah, they just showed her getting stressed out about lines and everyone was like, hey... Know your lines. And that was it. And then at the end of the show, oh, Miss Bubbles isn't a dramatic enough part for me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we got we got 45 seconds of her at an acting class, right? Y- yes, 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 yes. Right. And we go, oh, okay, now she's going to start doing fucking Albie. You said that the show has some good lines. I disagree. It has lines like, you're Arthur Miller. How could you be so boring? <laughs> what? What? That's why Arthur the marriage doesn't the work. Ar- I, I, hey, I read the Crucible. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with her. <laughs> Trash. To fucking to fucking tears with that show. Bored to fucking tears. I'm sure I'll like Death of a Salesman, but holy shit. Oh, I'm sure you haven't seen it. <laughs> Nathan Lane, where's your revival? Hurry up. We're in a tragedy here. (laughs) Uh, There are some really just banal lines here. There are the jumps the show expects you to make just don't work. Olympic pole vaulting. Yeah, there are terrible lines. It's, It's a pretty awful book. The book is worse than the score. Oh, I am nowhere near disagreement with you there. It, I think I think the lyrics are worse than the book, which is worse than the score. I don't think that the lyrics are worse than the book. No? No. I disagree right. there. Because although well, the yeah, lyrics although the lyrics are basic and not very good, uh, they don't have you scratching your head like, did we just jump twenty years? 
not 20 years, but did we just jump seven or eight months over this period? Did she even okay, get Okay, I'll give you, it's, it's not confusing, it's just bad. The lyrics. The mm-hmm. lyrics aren't confusing, they're mm-hmm. just bad. The book is confusing. The book is confusing and bad. Jesus fucking Christ. What? The people out of your window. Oh, that's not even the worst. Uh, book by Patricia I Michaels. did also appreciate that the horn was exactly... Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I appreciated that the horn was exactly... Bobby, 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 baby, Bobby, Bobby. A book by Patricia Michaels, who, wouldn't you believe it, does not have another credit in IBTB. Gasp. <laughs> what? How? <laughs> How? You, you would have thought the offers would have just started rolling in after this. So, let's summarize up the show. Because we didn't start with what was the moral or what did you take away. We didn't start with anything like that. Well, oh, did, um, sorry, I'm so sorry. Did you take something away from Marilyn? <laughs> no. Marilyn is one of the only shows we've watched where I can firmly say I've taken away literally nothing. Like, not a thing have I taken away. Actually, you could make the argument that I took away You Are So Beyond, but I'm not adding that to my book, so I didn't really. Actually, I did take away that Allison Reed is very talented and really got screwed over in her life by the industry. Okay, okay, okay. I can, I can allow that. Um, this was, if nothing else, a good showcase for Allison Reed. Otherwise... I think this show is equivalent to eating a bowl of whipped cream. It's enjoyable and extremely unsubstantial. This show Ooh, there's is, my thesis. This show is confusing. This show is nonsensical. Um, you wonder why just all the time about multiple topics. And um, it makes you even question your own mortality, to be honest. And that is musical theater. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, yeah, it it happened, it exists, and And not rushing out to see it it again. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, here's my thing with the show. It's both not as bad as people say and worse. This show is pretty much unproducible, right? Like, can you think of a single reason to put this show up in 2021? Can you think of a single reason this show would ever be licensed? You would have to find all of the 12 writers and their estates if some of them have died and negotiate with them to get a licensing deal going. And so, I mean, right there, that's why that won't happen. <laughs> Oddly enough, though, if you do look on YouTube, you will find in 1985, yeah. the show uh-huh. somehow was produced out of nowhere um, at the Tidewater Dinner Theater in Chesapeake, Virginia. <laughs> oh, wow. You found the location? I didn't even see that. Yeah, if you read the comments. I, oh well, fair enough. I, I 
I didn't go further than a quick glimpse at, at the clip. Well, because it looked like it was a fantastic video quality, and I thought, is this what we're supposed to watch? Um, <laughs> no, good thing was, we didn't, huh? It was a dinner theater. No. Um, the dinner theaters are really gone at this point. They're still only really active in Florida, because... Florida. Well, hey, at least at least you can hop down to Florida anytime, see people perform a show with a plastic face shield. Uh, anyway, I say let's start talking about Kenny Ortega's production. Quote unquote Kenny Ortega's production. And by Berkeley and Tommy Walsh. Yeah. Let's talk about the gang. I'm just gonna start it I don't have a lot to say, but I'm gonna say the one thing that's on my mind. Which is, never have I seen a show feel so busy and look so empty. Here's what I will say. You have the, I know I'll be a star, that's fine. And then that second song happens, and they roll out an entire car onto the stage. And you're like, okay, so I guess this is going to be a really big spectacle. And they're going to have all kinds of set pieces rolling around. And that might be interesting. Yeah. And the spectacle ends as soon as that car rolls off the stage at the end of that number. It, it, it's... There's a bathtub near the end of the show that raises into midair. Uh, yeah. I guess like you know, we love cats. Kind of impressive, um, but no. So they set you out on the wrong foot. They set you out again, not understanding the tone of the show and not communicating with the audience what they are seeing. They set you out on the wrong tone, and yeah. he kind of left wondering what is happening. Why? Why? Why, God? Well, he was, he was in this show, and he was, was making, so yeah. beyond anything we ever dreamed of. I have so little to say. I thought it was nicely choreographed. The choreography and, here is pretty great. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was nicely done there. Well, and that's Kenny Ortega, you know, Kenny Ortega. That's by coming is... in and fixing for Kenny Ortega. Ah, well. Because, I mean, we've seen Kenny Ortega's other choreography. That was not what we saw. What we saw in Maryland was much more technically advanced and much more well thought out than anything I've seen Kenny Ortega choreograph. I, 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 I guess, you know, you look at this. It's Kenny Ortega's theatrical debut. You know, I guess you see elements of promise, but ultimately you see someone who just doesn't really have a grasp on it yet. Would you agree? It's so hard because we don't know who did what. Yeah, I guess. And the show is entertaining enough. I thought the production presented the material to the best of its ability. It didn't seem an inept production but ultimately I think the issue here is when you bring in Byrick Lee and you bring in Tommy Walsh you can't 
you can try and change some things, but the preview period was only, what, 30 performances long? They didn't go for an out-of-town tryout. You can try Always and make a good sign the, with the show. You can try and make the show better, but you can't do massive, massive, massive rewrites when you're halfway through a 34 performance tryout period and they finally bring in someone else. Where Kenny Ortega sucks is that he was not a good shepherd for this material and he never focused the material. He let it be this messy. So yeah. I think the production is pretty polished. I think that's Byrgley and Tommy Walsh coming in and trying to fix what they can and make what is there as best as they could. Right. It was a lost cause by the time they showed up. I think they know, knew that, and that's why they didn't take credit. Yeah, that's all I gotta say. Do you have anything else? The costumes for Mar the character of Marilyn are attractive. I didn't like the costumes for everyone else. I, the, <laughs> we didn't talk about the bubble number, which is just... My I, god, what a stupid number. I mean, the guys come out and they're dressed as plumbers, and you're like, okay, we're scraping a very low bar here. And then the number that she sings is completely banal. And then the tub lifts and the audience applauds because something is happening on stage. But, <laughs> I mean, the entire bubble number isn't even based in reality. That is something that completely stops the show de absolutely dead in its tracks. And you made up that moment. That wasn't a point that you absolutely had to hit in Marilyn's life. That movie never existed. That was completely made up. So the fact that it is not a good number is only compounded by how it doesn't work structurally. And just, uh, if you've seen, I think it ended up in the B-reel. If you've seen the B-reel for Amer American and a Maryland Fable, Jesus. If you've seen the B-reel for Maryland and American Fable, it, it just looks trashy. So much of this show looks trashy. Yeah. It just kind of feels cheap, ultimately. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess what's left now is to talk about the cast. I also... I, I should have added this in the book section. Arthur Miller has two monologues. And... The monologues are fine, but they are decidedly monologues from a Neil Simon play, and what <laughs> Arthur Miller is doing giving a monologue that should be in a Neil Simon play, this I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're completely right. They're well-written monologues, but they're from a Neil Simon play. It's... Yeah. And he's Wild. Arthur Miller. Such are the missteps that are consistently made. So the cast, Mary Testa. Yeah, actually though, Mary Testa, who is like the second or third last build in this playbill and is still like the only voice you hear in these ensemble numbers. Yes, she plays Hedda Hopper and... 
she is in a couple of the ensemble numbers. Anytime she is in the ensemble numbers, you hear her over everybody else. I mean, it's very distinct. You go, okay, she's on the low alto line. I can hear exactly where she is. I recognize that <laughs> voice. It is very clear. Grateful to Mary Testa for getting us through Marilyn. Um, and uh, Hedda isn't given much to do. Mary Testa Don't playing... Yeah. Mary Testa playing Hedda Gabler. Why has this not happened? <laughs> Why has Michael John Lacusa not musicalized oh my Hedda God. Gabler Jesus. for Mary Testa? We have been disappointed. There's still time. I think there's still time. <laughs> Mary Testa could definitely still play Hedda Gabler today. Sure. I, I'd buy a ticket. <laughs> Maybe not at full price, but I'd buy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's blast through some, uh, some favorites here. Um, do you have any nice things to say about Willie Falk? You know, I think it was Ethan Morton that wrote that it's a decent melody, one of the most banal lyrics in musical theater history, and he goes out there and he performs it like he's about to sing You'll Never Walk Alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Uh, he has the vocal moment of the entire show. He delivers. Uh, it's full of energy. It's full of hope. Yeah, he was welcomed in this show. Do you have anything to say about him? He sang very well. Uh, and he definitely felt like as much of a creepy stalker as his character was meant to be. I think um, he was supposed to be a very young teen. And not a stalker. Yeah. Well. They should have cast Ben Platt. You know, you know, I was going to say Ben Platt also played a young teen. I don't think it made his character any less creepy. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Christy Coombs, who played uh, young Norma Jean Baker. And previously on this podcast, I have laid down De Gauntlet, as they say, uh, for evaluating young child performers. And the question is, are they any? Right. Meaning, are they good enough that they could lead a production of Annie? And what level of production would they lead? Is this a community theater? Is it the bottom of a church basement? Is it on Broadway? Christy Coombs played Annie on the second national tour of Annie. Well, there you go. That's our work done for us. And you know what? She's, she sings very well here. I think she's just lovely. You know, she was, she was um, the youngest ever Annie. Not and she, uh, at this point. Not because at this point, but at if, the time, she was the youngest ever. If you remember the whole Joanna Pasidi, Brittany Kissinger controversy of the 1996-1997 Nell Carter revival, they had that huge... Um, contest to find Annie. It was publicized on, I think it was Dateline, or it might have been 2020. 
Um, and they did a whole hour-long special about finding Joanna Pasidi, and the show was on tour, and they were about to come into Broadway, and, like, three weeks before they came into Broadway, they decided, we're firing Joanna Pasidi, and we are going with Kit Brittany Kissinger, who was, like, seven and a half or eight, and Joanna Pasidi was 12, and she had already been fucked over and said, you know what, there are younger people that are better than you that we are going with. And a lot of people said she actually wasn't. Brittany Kissinger was not better. She was just younger. So you liked Kristen. Um, how did I get on this topic? Because you mentioned, I mentioned youngest Annie. Oh, but anyway, Brittany Kissinger was the youngest Annie when she took the role over. She was again only All like right, seven well, and a half. Alright, well, did Brittany Kissinger, did Brittany Kissinger play, um, 1,500 performances in the role? Because that's I how many Kristen believe. here did. Well... Isn't that lovely? And she's terrific, and, and you can tell the, yeah, why she was you, a long-lasting Annie. And honestly, she was probably too young to play Broadway, but she could have, I think she probably could have played Broadway as Annie. You, you can see every single, like, iota of her experience here. Mm-hmm. Which, for what? She couldn't have been more than 12 here. For a 12-year-old girl to say, it seems like she has a lot of experience. Wow. A really, really fantastic child actress performance. Um, and I really, really adored her interpretation of Maybe at the beginning of this show. She didn't sing Maybe. She just about sang Maybe, Dan. Come on. Have you even seen Annie? Yes, I have. Okay, thank God. I watched I watched um, the movie when I was a way young kid and then watched it again for the first time in ages like a couple months ago. Have you seen the TV movie? Uh, the 90 one? The yeah. 90s one with, um, what's her name? No, I haven't. Victor Garber, Audrey McDonald. Yeah, what's her name? Victor Garber. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Victor Garber, Audrey McDonald... Uh, Kristen Chenoweth, Alan Cumming. It's one hell of a cast. You want to move on? Uh, to who? I don't know. Can I talk about Scott Bakula? Sure. Uh, Do you have anything to say about him? I always loved Scott Bakula on the Anyone Can Whistle uh, um, concert cast recording. And... I forgot he was on that. Yeah, he, he was... Really great on that. It, Grass is green, sky is blue. <laughs> he sings well. He's a very competent, leading man, musical theater performer. And he was on TV all those years, and unfortunately, we didn't get as many performances from him as we probably could have and should have. Yeah, I, th I, I thought he was fine here. I don't think the material gave him... No, he didn't have everything much to in the do. world. He um, didn't have much to do. But every time he went to sing, great voice. Uh, he acted as much as could be acted here. Yeah, thought he was um, just all right. Yeah, and I guess there's no one else I want to talk about other than uh, Allison. So, are we going to her now? To Allison Reed? Sure. 
her herself. Allison Reed. She played Merrick. Marilyn Monroe. American Mun- Mundo. <laughs> what is smart or what is really impressive here? She has a Marilyn impression. It's a good Marilyn impression. She uses it, but she never lets the impression dictate her performance. It's right. just some a tool in her toolbox that is used to get at the greater good of presenting the material and acting and singing and dancing. Hmm. Because it's very easy with some of these shows to have the impression be the entire performance and have the impression being the leading energy. That did not happen here. I'm extremely grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Anyone less capable uh, would have really made that divide between uh, th- th- that divide between material and performance a lot more obvious. And Allison Reed really lifts a lot of the weight of the show on her shoulders. Much like uh, Marilyn as an actress had to do in her career. So really, this is a very nuanced and layered performance. <laughs> um, no, she's she's really carrying this show on her back for mm-hmm. almost the entire thing. Uh, Willie Falk lets her tap out for a couple minutes, but otherwise. Mm-hmm. It really is the Allison Reed show. You know, it's a it's a huge boon that she is as gifted an actress as she is. And you know what is also great? She mm. never condescends because I mean, look, oh, yeah. you're, you're in this show, you read the script. I think you have an idea of what you're in. She also was not the first. They had hired another girl that they fired midway through their rehearsal period who never made it to a single performance. Because she was fired right. before they started previews. Um, she comes in. At some point, you read the script. And you realize, oh, this is the show I'm in. She puts on a game face. She goes out there. She does her absolute best. And she acts like this is career-defining material. Yeah. One of the thing I think it's the most said thing on this podcast, at least by me, uh, the sentence, in the hands of anyone less gifted, this would have been, you know, whatever. Like, that's one of the things I say the most on this podcast. Um, it's really just the biggest thing I have to say about this performance. Like, it is, it is the show's bounty that it has the material in the hands of someone as gifted as Alison Reed. Um, and truly, I don't know how many other people in the industry would have been able to do it like she did. Mm-hmm. Terrific voice. Terrific voice. Um, terrific voice. Terrific, terrific acting. Terrific dancing. She is a lead dancer. Like She's dancing the same with the group, and your eye goes to her. And yep. that's star quality. Um, and there was that song in the second act where she was in the trailer where she was just belting her fucking face off. 
She's like writhing around and she is like she is she is serving you chest voice. Like wow, it was fucking impressive. You were watching that and you were like, I didn't know Marilyn had that in her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then acting wise, you see the vulnerability that you know is Marilyn Monroe. You, uh-huh. you see a vulnerability you see an insecurity that she kind of is subtextually giving the show because it's not actually in the text. Hmm. Uh, it's really a terrific performance. I am so sad that we haven't seen more from her on the stage. She had rotten luck. This woman had rotten, rotten luck. What a shame. I think that was one of the first books on musical theater I got. um, Was something about 101 Broadway musicals or something. It was a coffee table book and it was sold at Sam's Club. Mm. And it actually is really a good book looking back. It has a lot of high quality photos printed that. are hard to find still even with the New York Public Library having an extensive digital archive and the concept of the book was list the 101 best musicals and then every 20 or so pages they'd have a feature on cast albums or they'd have a feature on off-Broadway musicals one of the features was flop musicals and Mm -hmm. there was a picture of Allison Reed and Marilyn, and they said if there was ever a Tony Award for Grace Under Fire, it should have gone to Allison Reed trudging her way through Marilyn and American Fable. Grace Under Fire. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, good phrase to explain what happened. Sure, yeah, wow. Well... That just leaves us to talk about uh, the video. I want to talk about something else first. Oh? This is not the only attempt to musicalize the life of Marilyn Monroe. And the other attempt Uh wasn't really a musical. It was a TV show. Uh, Uh And the TV show is Smash... The fictional uh, musical they were writing was Bombshell. The TV show uh, is seen about as successful as Marilyn is? No, it was more Uh, successful than Marilyn. Well, I mean, it it got renewed for a second season, but it's known as a show that was just, like, killed right away. Like, it's seen as, like, a show that, like, ran disastrously long. But it has a cult cult following. And Marilyn and American Fable didn't manage to get a cult following. That's not the question here. Hypothetically, is Bombshell any better or worse than Marilyn in a... Is Bombshell any... Marinate. Marinate in a minute uh, is Bombshell any better or worse than Marilyn and American Fable? Do you have an answer to that? I know very little from Bombshell. I know Let Me Be Your Star. Really? Um, you didn't watch Smash? I haven't yet. 
Oh my god. Where can I find it? Oh my god. Where can I find it? They're selling the seasons on DVD on Amazon for like five bucks. Oh, who the fuck has a DVD player these days? You have a Blu-ray it's all player streaming, base baby. that plays DVDs. I, I feel like a Blu-ray player. As soon as you try to put it, put in you know what? Shut a DVD, the fuck up. It Shut spits the fuck it out up. immediately, and the screen just goes, "Go away, peasant." Shut the fuck up, because you bought a specific disc drive to attach to your laptop. So I don't want to fucking hear it. All right, ship it over. I'll send you my address. <laughs> um. Bombshell certainly has better songs. Mm. And they talked about potentially turning it into an actual stage show. They're they're still talking about it. I think the issue is the songs being written for a TV show, they were mostly written to close out an episode. And so you go and you put all of those numbers into one show, and what you have is a bunch of Act 1 closers and a bunch of Act 2 openers. And some of the songs that were in the TV show should absolutely be cut if it ever does become a musical. But I have a feeling they're going to want to just present the entire score that they did right. Like, it's not a perfect fit. Yeah. It's a valiant attempt. I think it could be more successful than Marilyn and American Fable. But I also think this story just defies being musicalized easily. Yeah, absolutely. And that much is evident. (laughs) And now, let's go on to the video. Have you seen a bootleg from the 80s? Yes. That's about how good it is. They're all it, it, It's homogenous in the 80s You know I think we've mentioned before on the podcast There's the, the theory That A lot of these videos Feel like they're shot by the same person You know mm-hmm. It might be true I don't actually know the history of it But You know It feels about the same as The Rink video we watched Or the Lacage video we watched um, You can hear We watched people- a pretty low generation copy But you know, we it was still pretty much very similarly shot, very similarly framed. Anytime the camera goes to close up, you hear the inner machinations of the camera yes. closing up. Um, yeah. This does not have many close ups. It goes for more of a general stage shot, which actually I appreciated here because you get a better idea of the actual show. And if there's only going to be one production of this show ever, I'm glad they got the show rather than a specific performance. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? There are uh, certain videos that decide their capture of the show is going to be uh, an ECU so you can see their nose pores. Mm. Yes, that's been a recent trend. Yeah. I'm glad that we got performance captures and that we can really immortalize productions. I'm going to give this video like... We didn't talk about the sound. The sound... Um... No, but that, I, think that's, I think that's a generation thing. So I don't know if that's really 
if that really qualifies. Well, actually, I should say, um, look, we both watched the version of this bootleg that's on YouTube, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably did the same, and so I guess we'll all talk about it. Audio sucks. Uh, this is probably a generation issue, but it comes only out of the left earbud, and even at that, it is very compressed and very hard to make out. Uh, once I put earphones in, I could make out about 87% of what was said. It's not the world's worst audio, but it could be in much better shape. Yeah, Like 20 minutes into the show, I was getting about 10%. A lot of the lyrics were just hopeless for me. I was able to pick out a couple choice lyrics. Um, for example, um, as darkness becomes my reality... I discover there's only real. And, you know, I just think Steven Schwartz has been real quiet since that lyric dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like that lyric a lot. It feels like something that would be written in a pop-punk band today. Sure. Sure. And, of course, you had Marilyn Monroe sing that line. It confuses me, but I get what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> anyway based on what I watched I'm gonna give the video like a B plus but I'm sure it's an A minus video I would have just had to have seen a higher generation yeah I'm gonna give it a B plus um, the sound is a little disappointing um, they could have closed up a little more but I didn't mind too much uh, I'm glad it exists I'm very glad it exists yeah, so am I. And then, the show. <laughs> pass? <laughs> oh, we're doing a pass-fail? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, even that, I don't know which one I'd give. It's a D. Like, it's not the All right. worst thing in the world, but it's also not very good. Yeah. I yeah. Whatever. You know? <laughs> Whatever. Uh well, I hopefully I... next week we won't be so whatever. What do we have coming up? Anyway, that's that's Marilyn and American Fable wrapped up and told and packed away and put away. Um and next week we've got something special for y'all listeners. Oh it's special and I'm excited. Tell the listeners why I'm excited. I I can tell them why you're excited. You're excited because... uh, Annie! Annie! Because the the day this episode is dropping, uh, NBC is going to be presenting its live broadcast of Annie. Starring um, uh, Taraji P. Henson and no other names that I remember at the moment. Harry Connick Jr. Oh yeah, he's the egg. Um, Megan Hilty. Titus oh, Burgess. yes, Megan Hilty playing not Jane Krakowski. Oh, Titus... Okay, f- that's on me for forgetting Ty- Titus Burgess. That's actually on me. Um, listen... I always wanted to star in Dan, Annie. Dan... Oh, God, I don't doubt that. Dan wants to talk about Annie. I'm a charitable person, so I'm indulging him. It's, it's the musical theater event on TV of the year, arguably. They split the Tony Just Awards, like the and some was. of it was on... Yeah. 
Well, the Wiz actually was very good. That was probably the best of the live TV. Yeah, musicals. I know it was good, but what wasn't necessarily an, an event when it came down to it. Yes, it was an event. Uzo Aduba played Glinda. I didn't say it was a a subpar event. I'm just saying it wasn't it wasn't very popular. That's because America is racist. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. So we're doing we're talking about one of those uh, Annie. Yeah, oh, one of those live musicals, it's... and this one's Annie. I, I I have no idea what to expect, but. I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's a lot of fun. I hope um I hope it brings us all hope. Because right now we need hope. Maybe far away. Oh god. I have to go, guys. See you next week. Real He's gonna start crying, He's damn it. He's sitting for it his coffee. She's sitting straightening his tie. See, straightening. I, I normally am really a stickler about drop G's, but it's appropriate for the character because I have a full characterization. Please fade yourself Maybe. out during this section. <laughs> 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 If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critic Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Maryland an American fable. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The unauthorized critic circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein.